a good move. Why you dancing? Dancing is forbidden. Yoo-hoo, running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden, an Aqua Teen Hunger Force exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, I am usually watching through and talking about every Aqua Teen episode, but this week, we are joined by the man himself, Aqua Teen's longtime animation director, Craig Harton. Let me tell you, if there was an Aqua Teen Hunger Force Mount Rushmore, Craig, he would be on it. Craig started on Aqua Teen back in Rabot, the very first episode. He worked on the entire run of the original show, and that includes, of course, colon movie film. And then when Aqua Teen came back last year, Craig, he headed not only Aquadong side pieces, but also Plantasm. So, I mean, you name an Aqua Teen project, I'm sure that Craig was involved. Look, this conversation today, this is this podcast's biggest gift to any aspiring or current animators. There's just so much in-depth talk here. In fact, I challenge you to find an even more comprehensive talk on Aqua Teen's animation anywhere on the internet because I haven't seen anything get this in-depth. I'm very, very excited for you to hear this because, again, there's just there's nowhere else to hear this kind of stuff. But it's not all technical jargon. We're not just getting into the ins and outs of Aqua Teen animation. We talk about a bunch of other stuff as well. For example, Craig gets into how Robot Chicken ultimately helped Aqua Teen while it was on the air. Craig tells us about working on some of his favorite Aqua Teen episodes, and we even hear Craig talk about working on the very new film, Postocalypse, which of course is Matt Malero's new film. As of this episode coming out, it's out on Tubi. As I record this, it's not out yet, so when we get into it, you'll hear. I don't have specific questions for Craig because I had not seen the film yet, but Craig, he tells us about working on it as well. There's just so much great stuff here. And out the gate, Craig was just ready to go, ready to talk about animation. So because of that, we didn't get as into who Craig is as a person as I would have liked to. But I mean, hey, I guess that means Craig will just have to come back on the podcast some other time. But when he'll have time, who knows? Because Craig is currently the general manager of Bento Box Atlantis. So Craig, he went from working on Aqua Teen, working at Radical Axis, onto these just big things. So it's great whenever we see anybody who worked on Aqua Teen, especially somebody who was an OG like Craig, go on to these bigger and better things. I mean, for a peek behind the curtain, Craig had an assistant that I had to schedule with. I mean, what does that say? I think well-deserved. You'll hear in this talk how just truly passionate Craig is about animation, about the technology behind it, about innovating in that space, about making these enjoyable things that we love for so cheap and It's just inspiring. Of course, Aqua Teen isn't the only thing that Craig worked on that we'll be familiar with. I mean, you know, since since he worked on Aqua Teen, he likely worked on other shows, and he did, such as Squidbillies, Perfect Hair Forever, 12 Ounce Mouse, C-Lab 2021, The Brack Show, and other non-adult swim shows like Archer, Paradise PD, The Prince, Freak Show, Koala Man, Mulligan. Craig, he's been everywhere. 
Of course, thank you to Craig for taking so much time to talk to us today. It was a full block. We had two full hours to talk, which is nice. Typically, when I go into an interview, we don't have like a set time like that. So it was nice to know exactly how long we had to chat for. Really appreciate Craig taking the time out of his very busy schedule, as you will hear uh, during the conversation. Thank you to Craig's assistant, Peyton, for making it a very easy process to set the set the interview up. And of course, thank you to Dave Willis for facilitating this, for reaching out to me asking if I wanted to talk to Craig. I know you're probably thinking at this point, Jesus Christ, Ronnie, tell me when Dave Willis didn't hook you up with an interview. That'll be that'll be even easier. Well, don't worry. Next month, we've got some interviews that Dave had nothing to do with, but I really do want to thank him because Craig is just one of those dream guests for the podcast, and I'm so glad we could make it happen. Here it is, my conversation with Craig Harton. I had left the show, I think, right when it ended and moved on and was building Bento Box at the time here in Atlanta. I think we've been around 11 years or something like that here now, 12 years, something like that. Yeah, it was like I had sort of moved on. It was being done, you know, com- being completed over at uh, Awesome Incorporated at the time. And I had already I had moved on very early on after I started working there to, to build Bento Box. But yeah, I, they had called and, and said that they wanted to make these these shorts, uh, and if we could help, you know, I think it was a week later they called and said they wanted to make another movie, <laughs> um, and I was like, that's absolutely fantastic. And I I started on the pilot episode one, so it was a little bit interesting to sort of see the evolution and and really going into the first movie is when we upgraded everything to HD. Like that was such a big monumental moment. And it really was like, how do we do it? So we had to sort of create that aspect of like, you know, we had everything scanned in. We had, we were going into Photoshop. We were running action scripts to increase the line art of everything to make sure that it was getting to the to where it needed to be. And then we'd go in and touch it up and clean it up so that we could have the files in a way that we could use it into and put that into After Effects mm-hmm. that worked. But I thought what was, you know, for me, the opportunity, and I'm a, I'm a sort of a tech nerd with that stuff is got excited about the idea of like going, I'll do this, but it has to be in 4k. Like I need an excuse to like bring this to the next level. Right. So we talked a lot about it and and they didn't have the budget to do it. And I said, look, I can, I can figure out a way to put this in 4k without it costing. So I worked on a plan for a while with my artists to figure out if we could actually pull it off and figure out a way to do it. And and it seemed like it was going to work because we were going to use, you know, the aspects of what we were doing with the shorts to sort of jumpstart us into what we would do for the movie. So there's like um, those little web shorts that we did mm-hmm. for the Aqua Teens were obviously pushing that forward into what we wanted to do. And then it was like, but also we scrapped it. Like it was also I wanted to scrap the whole idea of like Photoshop After Effects pen and paper. So we we completed those shorts that way, and I wanted to drive it into using Toon Boom Harmony, uh, and it was really sort of breaking it away from being something that was still, in a way, a lot of people considered it still to be somewhat traditional in that sense, because they would still even do sketches on paper, but it was completely paperless, like the idea of going 100% digital and putting it into software that's up to date and can actually be utilized for what it what we're trying to do because it's come so far with the technology now. And we, yeah, we recreated every single aspect of Aqua Team from beginning to end, redid it in, in Toon Boom Harmony. 
and produced it at 4K, like brought it into a vector world, even found ways to go in and, and do texture line work to like pull out so it looks like pencil finish you know, so that it doesn't have it. Cause we wanted to keep that original look. And of course I was, you know, working, I had, um, Matt Jenkins, uh, animation directing for me on the project as well. So it was, he was funny enough. He was my first boss that I was working for on Aqua Teen in the beginning at wild hair, right? Yeah. 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 So I was, I was working for him there doing Aqua Teen. And then, um, now he's working with me doing Aqua Teen. I say with me because I don't like to say he Matt works for me because he got me started in my career. So right, right, I have a right. lot of respect for him and, and what he's done. But um, yeah, we've been, you know, he's over at the studio and, and killing it and helped really sort of like keep the idea of what Aqua Teen was in the beginning alive for the new movie. So Bento Box, you guys did the Aquadonk side pieces. You did Plantasm, but Floyd County Productions are doing the upcoming season. Are you guys involved in that in any sort of way? They were asking about, you know, us coming and doing, you know, the the series work and, you know, for various reasons, budget, schedule, really timeline of just where things were. It just was like did not make sense for these next five because it was such a small order mm-hmm, right. um, to sort of get those going. So, yeah, we just, you know, it was and I've got, you know, all my buddies over there, Todd Redner's over there at Floyd mm-hmm. County and, you know, he, he and I have worked together for 18 years so i'm just really stoked of of the people that are going to get to work on it that came from the original world uh and could still do it i i kind of like the idea that you know all of all of the the old timers they say from the days of original aqua teen are still floating around in atlanta at different places and we're just passing it around it's fun it's like you you get this next season you do it and then somebody else will take the next one and we just keep pushing them from one place to another. It's fun. Well, that's what I had to tell my listeners when I announced that like Floyd County Productions is doing the next season. I was like, well, it is still people who worked on Aqua Teen in the past. It's not like completely new people coming in. Yep. So yeah, it's very cool to me to see. And I know that like Matt Jenkins was at Floyd County. Now he's at Bento Box. And like you said, you guys are just kind of all just Adult Swim always was a little bit, I guess, incestuous, for lack of a better term, in terms of you oh, yeah. guys working on all these shows. So it's cool to see, like, even if you're not all at the same place, it's still like that same that same attitude, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even early on, we were all like jumping from place to place. I mean, I was working, I think it was season two um, of Aqua Teen. I was doing it and then running, leaving there midday from William Street and driving over to, to 7030 to make C-Lab. And then we'd drive back, you know, later in the day and finish working on some Aqua Teen stuff. So, and then at night I would drive over to Clay Croker's house and do composite work for him on, on Aqua Teen late at night because he was doing some of the artwork. So it was very much like just people just all mixing around at where right. we were and nothing was established yet. There was no real, you know, quote unquote studio other than, you know, what, um, 70, 30, even at the time, I, there were four of us in there, you know, it was like the two creators and myself and an editor. And then we'd swap out who was coming in and who was doing work. A Photoshop artist would come in and do some stuff every now and then. But it definitely, you know, sort of grew. It grew pretty, I say rapidly, but I mean, it did take, you know, eight years to really see it sort of grow here in Atlanta. But, you know, it's it was pretty fast once we started doing all of the other all the other shows and all the other work that was being done out of out of Atlanta. And Aqua Teen sort of, I felt like built that and and allowed for what we were doing to be expanded upon here, which was amazing. 
if if we could go back to something you mentioned, because Matt Malero told me that you are the reason, really, that Plantasm was in 4K, because it was announced that there was these other Adult Swim films being made. I think it's Metalocalypse and Venture Bros. Mm-hmm. And as far as I currently know, Plantasm is the only one of those three that will be in 4K, and that's because of you. Yeah. I don't know if you could speak... I, I, know, I know you kind of touched on it, but if you could speak more to like how you went about doing that and keeping that within budget because they weren't going to pay for it to be in 4K, is my understanding. Yeah, I mean, it really was sort of, again, like from just a tech standpoint, it was like following the the path of like what we were doing, going from like 640, television to then going to 1920, 1080 HD. And I was like, what's the next step? We can't do another movie. This is another big milestone. You know, it was like series first movie. That's a big milestone. Let's, let's bring it up to something new. So we stepped up to HD. The network was very new into HD at the time, trying to figure that out. So it was like for us to go to HD was sort of a big, big deal. And it was almost like we were leading the way for older productions moving into it, you know? And I was like, why not continue that path? really push us, I guess, in my mind, like to that next level of like where we want to go with this, because it didn't need to just be something that would live on the shelf with everyone else. Plus, I wanted to be able to, you know, have Matt and Dave to be able to have the bragging rights and be like, yeah, your little stupid show doesn't have 4K. (laughs) (laughs) But this, you know, meatball, it's got 4K. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it is, it is just that it's like, I mean, you know, Rick and Morty, I don't even think is 4K. So it's just the idea of like Adult Swim, like putting something out and like Aqua Teen being yet again, like the leader yes. of pushing things in the 4K. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else is sort of going, wait, why aren't we doing 4K if they've done it on that? And it, it just puts it there. It's not really something I thought about before. And I can really appreciate you explaining how like people always underestimate really what went into Aqua Teen, like the work that you guys had to put into it. And it's always written off as like a bad looking show and things like that. So I love that you have these kind of like trophies of like the 1080p first movie and the 4k next. It's like, yeah, it's like people think it's a joke, but then you guys are making these kind of technological advancements on the network. Yeah. And they have us to thank for it. So thank you. Thank you, everybody at the network. Discovery Plus, you can send a check to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's been, you know, I mean, honestly, that's sort of the idea of like where, you know, where a lot of it, because all of it is sort of technology based in the beginning. And that's what was so interesting about Aquatine in the beginning is we didn't create Aquatine in a pipeline that made sense. And it wasn't because we were trying to break the rules. It was, we were in Atlanta, we were outside of the bubble of either LA or Korea where animation was being done and sort of looking at it going, well, how do we make these shows and we're not given much money? And so you're you're kind of put in a situation to look for opportunities. If you're just given the money, you go about the traditional way of doing things, right? Like you don't think that much about it. You're not pushing the boundaries of what you have. And with the advancement at the time of like computers coming in, it was like, wait, why are we doing it this way? We could probably save a lot of time and, you know, by just putting this straight into the machine, you know, like let's, you know, draw it on paper. Let me scan it and ink it in Photoshop. Like that really was sort of where it came from. It was like, we don't need to go through this process of like inking it and then getting it colored and then scanning it and all that. It was like, and then it was the idea of like just faster and faster, like production work to figure it out. I mean, because 
it did stem from not having money to figure out ways to do it. Right. And that that's why we came up with these very interesting, clever ways of making this show with Photoshop and After Effects in a way that no one else was doing it. We were creating, you know, we were creating actions and scripts and things that would be written and could function in a way to get the project done like super, super quick, super efficient. Um, and it was sort of groundbreaking in a lot of ways. We were pushing the envelope of what the software could do and, you know, things like really nerdy, but things like time remapping of, and, and after effects was not used in the way that we used it. And so could you explain how? Yeah. So we were still doing X sheets for lip sync and things like that, like literally writing it on a sheet of paper, like what the lip sync should be and, and breaking it down. And we're trying to figure out ways to sort of break away from that. And then we were like, you know, we could use I think at one point we ended up just going in and I, I was trying to figure out a way to like put the mouths in a way that they could actually be repeated so that we didn't have to figure it out on a regular basis of, of what to change them to. So we ended up, I took all of those and I put each one of them on its own keyframe. So mouth zero is closed. One is a little bit open. Two is a little more. Three is the, you know, it was like two is E, three is ah, and then five, is, you know, you keep going. It's like L, F, M, you know, you try to get all the different sounds in there. And that became our standard. And it was one through seven, you know, zero through seven in that case um, of what the mouths were. And it became the standard for us on all of Aqua Teen. So any character that came in, besides Meatwad, any character that came in had the same set of mouths. Because then we knew that it was just a matter of seven numbers that we had to punch into the computer. So we were looking at it and going, all right, well, this is cool. So now we can like use time remapping to then go in and we can just lip sync in the program with the video waveform, the audio waveform, and just go through and lip sync the entire show that way. And it's done. You don't have to do anything else. So that really became sort of the, the way to like use the technology that we had there to sort of push, you know, the boundaries of what the, it was not intended. That is not what time remapping was ever intended. For. <laughs> uh, right. But, you know, it was like, it's sort of, for us, it was like, yeah, but it's there. Let's see if we can use it to, to, speed up our process mm -hmm. so it was little things like that it wasn't like it was literally just because not that we knew how to do any of this it was just we were trying to figure out ways to do it and do it on a budget um and in doing so we we created and sort of did do these sort of huge technological in my opinion advances to the way that we worked and operated out of atlanta you know compared to anywhere else because they were still doing pen and paper you know out in la and we were running a digital pipeline completely out of atlanta and, and that sort of translated to all the productions that were coming up here. We were all of a sudden moving into complete digital pipelines and LA is still on, you know, shipping stuff overseas and getting crates back from, you know, shipping containers back, coming back with all the files. And it's like, that's such a bizarre way to do it still. But again, it wasn't, you know, we weren't competing with that. We just didn't know any better. And also we were trying to figure out a way to do it cheaper. So that's why it's uh, every one of these steps that we've done is like to, to do it as, to go to a next level, especially with, you know, going to the first movie with HD and then the second movie to 4K, it's just, it made sense in the evolution of the movie. It's like, we never want to stop evolution of the show rather, because we never want to stop pushing, you know, how we treat the characters and how we work with it and how we can keep things going. Because as soon as we got it into harmony and got everything set up the way that it used to be set up in After Effects, we found speed in it again. Like now we've, now we've used technology once again to speed the process up. 
And what that does is it doesn't just mean that all of a sudden it's done faster and quicker. It means, oh, now we have more time to do other stuff we really want to do. Because what it used to take to make the show, we can now do quicker, but we still want to use the same amount of time we did before. So now we're doing more animation. We're doing more cool effects. We're doing all these different things we couldn't do before. So yeah, it was really, for me, it was that. It was pushing it into where the show is going to go. If the series is ever going to come back, let's set it up for success. Let's, let, let's not do it. Let's use the the time we have on this movie to sort of bring it into the next gen of like what we're going to do, which is going to inevitably be, you know, 4k and setting everything up in that way and prepping it for the future and, but do it in a way that it's going to be super cost effective and just getting to that point. So, I mean, it really is just sort of thinking a little bit different. You're just drawing things a little bit bigger. You know, you're looking at your backgrounds instead of, you know, we were already drawing backgrounds and scanning them huge anyway. Let's just draw them big and use them big. That was sort of the idea. And it was like, there's really not a lot of the, the background painting really is sort of the, the biggest, I would say, time suck, if anything, for making something in 4K, because you have to think about how big that is. And you have a little bit more detail you have to add and everything. But once we got the right team in place, it was just like painting a regular background. Like there was no difference between that and painting a, you know, a, a HD background, we're just doing it in 4k. It just took a, you know, minimal amount of time more to actually be able to do it. But again, the being in harmony, going to 4k, you couldn't have done this. And with after effects is the fact that we're in a vector world. So we're now able to put the character really close up to the screen at 4k. And it, completely digital it shows the line work it shows that pencil texture you're never going to notice that it's not hand-drawn i mean everyone knows it's not but you you know you're sort of alluding to that and then you can push the character super small in the background and you can adjust the thickness of the lines because it's all vector and i think that was the brilliance of like really moving forward into this 4k world besides the bragging rights first and foremost bragging rights <laughs> second is that you've got it we've you've got to think of like how you're going to treat this moving forward because you can't keep doing it the same way it doesn't work I, I know this might be a difficult one to tackle but listener cup on drugs wants to know if you could kind of go into the challenges of animating colon movie film at that time versus the challenges of doing plantasm in 2020 yeah, I mean, I think we were tackled. It's funny because I, I remember the process very vividly of, of both times because it was sort of like the others is just process, right? We're just making the series and making the show and it's it's each episode has its own challenges. But when you get sort of to these big milestones like this, you're sort of going, how do we do, you know, what's the process going to be for this? And I think that really was what we were faced with is the first time it was, we've got to get these characters from being this big to being this big, you know? So it was the idea of like going, you know, on screen from that pixel 72480 world, 64480, whatever it was at the time up to this HD in 192480. How do we get to, you know, how do we increase that and make that work? So it really, the challenge there really became trying to figure it out in the sense of, I guess breaking down what needed to happen. And it was the first thought is, well, we're going to have to rescan everything that we've ever done. <laughs> so, the, and scan it at a higher resolution. And then it was like, well, that's, in, that's insane. We can't scan everything back in. We don't even have half the art because it, it, eight different people worked on it. And it's at their houses and mm -hmm. underneath, you know, 
drawers or they're it's in a filing cabinet called a trash can like you have no idea where this stuff is anymore <laughs> so uh-huh. we really were just sort of faced with like how do we get these characters to be this big so then it became well we were the only thing we can do is use technology to like get there right so we actually ran tests i remember we put together these animated tests of we had these for the editors we would make these sort of reference movies right and it was a long movie um, that existed of say master shake and it would start with master shake in one position and then a few seconds in he would turn to the next position and then he would a few seconds later turn back so that's sort of the beginning of that and then it would be he, he goes into surprised eyes and then lowers back down to regular eyes and then he would bend over and then he would stand back up and then and we would go through the whole process anything that that master shake could do would be built in one huge quick time and we would deliver that quick time over to the editors and the editors would use that to actually build the animatics because animatics that was our storyboards we did not have again just didn't know the process well enough at the time to know we can't afford storyboard artists so let's use just the editors and the editors are going to be the one that will build the storyboards so that's really sort of the the beginning of sort of that process so we actually called Turner at the time, uh, Turner Studios across the street, because we were at William Street, and they were directly across from us, and uh, called them and sort of talked to them. And they had just gotten a brand new system in that was basically for upresing. So it took, and what they were doing is they were processing some old films because they were just moving into the HD world. They were starting to broadcast. They had two broadcasts at the time. One was a standard deaf broadcast, and then they had an HD broadcast. So you could pick which channel you wanted, either standard F or HD at the time. And the HD process basically was running through this device, this basically a, a huge, almost like an avid type system where it was upresing it and, and creating this sort of new platform for it. But it would do things like it would go in and sharpen it, do slight blurs on it, turn, get rid of some anti-aliasing. Like it was a very good process to get it done. And you could look at it and go and fine tune it as you went through. So they were very successful with live action stuff for that. So we're like, why don't we use this and see where we can go for some of the other pieces that we have. So we ended up taking that quick time that we had made for the editors and shipped it over to them, run the process on this. Let's see what we can get. So they sent it back while they were doing that. We were running other tests. We were going, let's look at the possibilities of scanning everything larger. Let's look at the possibilities of, of just up it in After Effects as we're building it. And then let's look at the possibility of re of resing in Photoshop and cleaning it up in Photoshop. And then we had sort of all these different solutions. It was like the first solution was what they were doing at Turner Studios, which was extraordinary. What they were doing, what we were doing with after effects to just up resin after effects and see if we could clean up sort of cheating what they were doing with the same process but using after effects to do it and then we had our process the other process was that we were creating was the photoshop aspect which was go into all the photoshop files where everything is already saved up res the file to what size it needs to be and then at that point take the file and then really it was taking the file and, and sort of cleaning it up and it was running a batch process on it. It was it was going through, stripping everything down, reducing the line weight, getting rid of the garbage, cleaning up the files a little bit, and seeing that we could get to the point where it didn't look pixelated in any way because we upressed it. So we finally found a technique with enough like different filters in Photoshop to actually be able to get there. And it took time to like develop that and get to it. So we started 
testing it with the different characters. We started doing Carl, we started doing Meatwad, we started doing Frylock and found that it was pretty successful. We had to do some color touch-ups and some other things, but for the most part, we were actually able to to process this and it was a click of a button because we recorded the action. So then we were able to go into the file, process it, click it, and it would up-res everything. Mm-hmm. So I would say the pro- it was tedious because you were, you know, it was weeks and weeks of work for one person to sit there and do this in Photoshop to every single asset that ever lived for Aquatine. So we would go through and do that for every bit of it. The backgrounds were a little bit trickier. Luckily, Bob Pettit was painting things at a a higher res already. So we were able to sort of increase those as much as we could and clean them up. We did have to just recreate punch-ins. There was no way if we were going in tight on a background, we had to just recreate it because we couldn't get enough detail out of it. And then others we let go. It was the charm of the show. You know, you kind of look at it and go, "It it looks good. It looks what the intent was in the beginning. So we would go with that. So that was sort of the idea of the first round, which was really figuring out how to do that. The second one was a a little bit different. It was the idea of like, can we, the first question that came up when I was talking to uh, Josh Mullen next to Kabazra, I was like, what is the process we want to go through for this? And sure we could go to after effects and, and do this and we could do the process again in Photoshop. We'd probably have better software now to actually up res it in a way that it looks clean but why? Like, what's the long-term goal? You know, because you're still using sort of this old pipeline, this old process. It was like, why don't we see how long it would take to import all of our Photoshop files into Harmony? And then we got to pay a handful of artists to just trace every single element that's ever lived and redraw it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. We started going in, we brought it into Harmony and traced over every single piece that we had ever done for the characters. And the beauty of that was that, you know, Matt Jenkins was there in the process for this too. And he was able to go in and and update it. You know, he could go in and the things that he hated about, you know, the process in the first time, it's like that hand's not quite right. He would redraw the hand, but never to the point that artists would notice, you know, or, or viewers would notice, you know? Right, right. It was always just the point of like, it looks good. And it's clean, but there's not something that's sort of jarring about it's too clean. It, we tried to keep that limitedness of it, tried to keep that like sort of standard poses of the characters. We wanted it to be very traditional. Even though we're using Harmony, I don't want to animate it. I still want to animate it the way it used to be. I still want to just move the characters around because that's the charm of the show. So that was a little bit, you know, obviously that was a bigger process than what we did the first time. I think they probably took about the same amount of time to do both. However, I had a lot more people on the second round doing it more than I've ever had on any, anything else aqua team we've done. Um, you know, I think we ended up with like 40 people or something, which isn't a lot for big productions, but for aqua team, that's a huge staff. Yeah. So yeah, we ended up with, with quite a big staff going through and working on this and getting it up to, up to where it needed to be for going to that full size. Right. Well, my understanding, too, of how each film was made was that colon movie film was made over a longer period. And like there was a lot of other things going on at the time, like, you know, Squidbillies, 12 ounce mouse. Mm -hmm. And then with with Plantasm, it was much more focused. And also my understanding is that is that for Plantasm, there was a storyboard. Is that correct? Yeah, this was also the first time we treated it traditional pipeline. Um, the first movie was, as you mentioned, was a long time, but it was also broken up. We treated it like it was 
I think four episodes. We literally broke it up and split it amongst four editors. And it was built in that way to be, you know, handled as sort of like we would get an episode and we would start animating it and then we Mm -hmm. would finish it, review it, turn it in. We would get another episode and we were almost building this sort of like a season's worth of content that was then going to be put into a movie and placed. Mm -hmm. So there were aspects. The first one was great, but there were aspects of it that felt a little bit disconnected. And I think partly to do with that, I don't think it was necessarily, you know, the writers may disagree that they, that from a writing standpoint, but I think it was literally the process that sort of disconnected the movie at times, just with the, the longevity of how long it took and you're working on different pieces. And it's hard to see the, the through line, you know, across the board from beginning to end. Um, which made it a little bit different than what we did the second time, because the other thing I wanted to do in, in doing this was really create it in a way that was very much lended itself to being a big movie. Mm-hmm. Cause I did not want to go into it the same way we did before. I didn't want to treat this like four episodes. I was trying to very much convince people, let's not do that. Let's look at this. Let's, we can do multiple things. We can storyboard it because there's going to be so much action. And then if we want to do the little in-between scenes that are standard Aquatine, we can do that. But I said, I would prefer we just do the entire production storyboarded. And we had done a couple of storyboarded elements for some of the other action sequences for the movie. Um, Napkin Lad, I think we did a whole like storyboarded sequence and then did some crazy stuff for that with some 3D elements. But there was this was really the first time from like the beginning to end that we had taken something and gone, we're going to board this entire project. Right. Right. And it, it did change a little bit from the editorial side of things because it took the editor out of sort of creating the animatic. And now it was in the hands of the artists that were making it to really do it. And, you know, it was a lot of work to get everyone to understand because they were animating like they would a traditional movie, mm-hmm. you know, or a traditional series. And we're like, no, no, no. <laughs> Shake doesn't move. <laughs> right. Shake is always right. in that position. Because yeah, they would have yeah. him slightly drawn different. Like, nope, nope. Draw Shake. It, just pull him in. Like, pull in the character file, mm-hmm. put him on screen, whatever you need to do. So w- once we finally got to that point, everyone started to understand the process a little bit. <laughs> uh, it moved pretty quick. But we were able to really push the animation for those big sequences because it it allowed us something that we would have never been able to do in edit. You know, you were just that opening sequence is insane. We would have never pulled that off in, an, in a standard animatic edit that we would do for the, for Aquatine. Mm-hmm. So it was bringing it to sort of that next big level. Not only did we want to go big with 4k, we wanted to go big with action. We wanted to go, it needed to be, you know, 40% new, mind-blowing stuff and 60% Aquatine. Like that's really what it had to be. And the only way to do that was to storyboard it and and traditionally animate stuff. Like really break the mold and say we're going to animate stuff, but and we're going to go big with it. Mm-hmm. But then we're going to go right back into the stuff that everybody knows is that standard poses, the standard Carl gestures that you see in every mm-hmm. single episode. Right. We're going to repeat that stuff throughout the entire thing and not lose track of what the show is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, something you said uh, reminded me. So you were talking about the Colin movie film as having been basically four episodes on your guys's end. Are you familiar with the Japanese version of the film? 
Uh, I am not in the sense of, I haven't seen anything from it, but I definitely know uh, the guys have told me about it, that they were doing that. Yeah, that, that it's, it's like four volumes, basically. Interesting. So I have to wonder, really, like, because, yeah, they split up into four. I have to wonder if you went and saw those, like how close they were in, in their splitting up of it mm-hmm. to how you guys actually worked on it in four parts. I have to, I have to wonder. I, I, can get, I can get that to you if you want to see it. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to know, too, if it's like um, because they used four editors, they did it that way. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I'd be interested to know the mindset behind like why they did it that way. If it was easier to tackle it writing from a writing standpoint or a producing standpoint to make it four, mm. or if it literally is like they wanted to leave it sort of that disjointed feel and to see what they come back with. I don't know. Mm. That's interesting. I would love yeah. to know the reason behind it, but I'd also like to see how it plays if it feels connected and if there's a through mm. line or if it feels a little bit you know, you can definitely still get a through line. I mean, series do it all the time because you you create a series and you have like an over, you know, a, a, an arch that goes from beginning to end. So I think you definitely can get that. It's just a matter of does it work as feeling as one piece when you watch them back to back? Right, right, right. Exactly. So since you now work at bento box and and i you know know you do a little bit more traditional animation than things like aqua teen which as you explained was like its own you know thing initially uh listener carson wants to know how similar or different is overseeing something like aqua teen hunger force or squidbillies compared to a more traditional animation approach like the prince or paradise pd it's definitely a huge huge difference um do you have a preference? Yeah, uh, Aqua Teen. I mean, doing the smaller productions that we... And, and here's the reason, because once you get into some of these productions, you get... It's too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Like, once you get to a point of when there's... In the early days, making Aqua Teen, there's six of us. So we're all making jokes, and we're all telling what could work and not work. And you find out who's got certain ideas for certain things, and you sort of put people in places of how it's going to function and work. So there's a little bit of that, like just sort of looking to see what's going to make the most sense for, you know, I guess sort of how a small production works, but what it allows you to do. And because my credits are all over the place, right? Like my credits early on were like compositor, animator, lead composite, lead director, producer, like it was one end of the spectrum to the other. (laughs) And it was not because I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was because I just was falling into every one of those. Like you just find yourself going, I have to do a little bit of all of this in order to do this. Cause there's only six of us. Like, mm-hmm. of course you're going to end up playing producer half the, half the day and director the rest of the day and animator for a couple of hours because they need help getting the project done. So that's very typical in the sense of a small project and a small, not a small project, but a, a small production like an aqua mm-hmm. a squid billies an adult swim styled show that's homegrown the William street style show, because you do obviously get into the Rick and Morty's that are completely different. Right. The difference is when you start getting into something like, let's say a paradise PD, for instance, it, it becomes a very much of a disconnect and a very different production. The, and what I mean by that is the artists aren't, hearing and speaking and working with the creators they're not hearing the the mindset and what the creators are thinking it's typically being passed down you know it's come information's coming to me i'm passing it to my director or my producer um and then that's being translated down to the production staff and then to the artist and so forth and so on so there's 
And usually because on a production like that, Paradise PD, for instance, I mean, you know, at one time we were running over a hundred people on some of those projects. So it was, you've got a very, very large staff. You're not sitting in a room with 12 people and you're all, that's it, making the show. You've got so many people and that's just in Atlanta. Paradise PD was being produced out of, out of LA. So they had 60 people on the project in LA. So you've got, you know, you've got, 160 people, you know, across the country working on one of these shows. It's very much a different process. And what that does is it, it, it does two things. It, it allows it to be a cleaner, more attention to script comedy, I think, than what you get from most other productions. Mm-hmm. So, right. So you're getting a very tight, you're getting a very comical, very like, thought process going into every single aspect of what's happening to it. That's very much uh, scripted from the very beginning. It's scripted. There's no really other way to say it than that. Like what you're getting is a scripted show. When you get into something like Aqua Teen or Squidbillies or any of these things, you're getting a script, but it's never been something that has held us back making it. The script means that, like, that's the guidelines. Hey, guys, here's the overview of what we're doing. The, the words are all there. Everything's there. Ad-libs being done. We're doing stupid things in animation that we typically aren't spelled out in the script. We're, like, creating situations in animation that cause the writers to, you know, Dave and Matt at times to go back and re-record stuff because it's funnier the, mm-hmm. the way it visually looks now. Um it inspires new an- ideas and new animations for what we're going to do with the next one because we did something stupid on this one. And I think there's that side of things that is very, very, you know, sort of a more organic workflow when it comes to these smaller projects than what you would get out of a, out of a big project. I'm, I love Bob's Burgers. I love a lot of the productions. I mean, Family Guy is amazing. Simpsons, those are scripted comedies, but they're so good. But they're not Aquatine. You're not going to see, you, you're not going to watch one of those and go, wow, the artist just went crazy with this scene. It's not going to happen. You're going to look at it and go, I bet that is so perfectly exactly the way the director in Los Angeles drew it before it got shipped to Korea. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. Right. So I think with those projects, I love the projects and I love working, you know, you get onto those other shows and it's like a blast because there's, it's fun, it's high profile, there's a lot of things going into it, but then you go into a, you know, a pilot or work with these guys on some of these other shows and all of a sudden you're entering just into this different world of like, man, we're going to be able to push the bounds of what we can do. And they allow the freedom, you know, you're, you're working one-on-one with them and the creator knows you know, in a situation like Aqua Teen, Matt and Dave know everybody working on the project for the most part. Mm-hmm. The movie got a little bit bigger, but the the core people that were making the decisions were the ones that they trusted. So we were able to push the boundaries of those of those animated sequences to just do things that you never would be able to do on one of those bigger projects because you would you'd get your hand slapped. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, the there's no there's no artist going to Seth MacFarlane like, hey, look, look at this new idea I had. Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a more like iterative process that involves the entire production team mm-hmm. to improve the episode or the movie or whatever. Yeah. And it, it's you know, there's the, the, the counter to that is a lot of times I think that there's there's something about and I think we, we did it really well with the schedule for Aqua Team movie because I ran the production like it was one of those types of productions. In the sense of 
I had a very strict schedule we had to stick to. That didn't mean we couldn't adjust and, and, and flow with it to make changes as we go, but we had to stick to what we were doing. It was very rigid, which was something that we, for, you know, whatever, 16 seasons or whatever it was of we had never done like you would if you needed an extra week you take an extra week like it just wasn't driven down to that pinpoint of like you're going to get things friday and it's going to be done and then they get things on friday and it's done and it was a very different process i think for everybody to sort of wrap their head around oh this is a big production you know and that was what the movie turned into was it was a big production there was a lot of moving parts you know, and also because if you're, you're going to push something out, I mean, it's just also just the scale, right? If you have six people working on a project and you want to push things a week, you only have to worry about six people finances for a week. Right. If you've got 60 people on a project and you push things a week, now you're paying 60 people salaries for a week. That becomes a big chunk of change. So you, you definitely are, there's a lot more risk, you know, the larger you get. And so it has to be very, very strategic before you ever get to that point because you can't allow experimentation a lot of times Mm -hmm. from the artist right right and i'd imagine uh, as somebody in your position who who is like you know i I believe you're the gm of bento box atlanta is that correct like Mm -hmm. when you have those bigger projects i'd imagine it's much more stressful for you right it is i mean you definitely have you know you you've got to make sure that you stick to it and you stick to those schedules because it's there's an air date right behind it. And there's also 70 other people on the other side of you turning something in that are waiting on you to turn it in mm-hmm. on that date so they can hit the ground running and do what they need to do for the next 12 weeks. So mm-hmm. it definitely adds that level of pressure of like, oh man, we've got, you know, it's every two weeks you're turning in an episode. Paradise PD, I think Paradise PD, one of the seasons we were turning in every single week, a new episode. Wow. And so it is one after the other. And it's like, you're, you're racing Monday through Friday to hit that Friday deadline. Monday come pops up. You're on the next one. You're racing to hit that next delivery. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's just a process. It's, it's teams, you know, 12 teams of people working to get you to that, to that final delivery. So it definitely puts a lot more sort of stress on things and a lot sort of, bigger aspect of like really what's happening is much grander than what you're sort of used to. But at times, you know, depending on the artist and some people love that workflow, I love both workflows. Um, I prefer the the smaller ones, you know, but you lose a little bit of that creativity that you could apply to it when you're just becoming, and I don't want to say that we're a factory because we still love what we do and we all put into it, but you're very much sort of like, an artist becomes a cog in the wheel and it's a terrible mm-hmm. analogy because that diminishes what they do. And I don't mean that in that way, but it right, literally right. is like, it's a factory process. It's like, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. You've got to get this done by the end of the week. We're out of the next one. And it's this mentality of like churning it out. And then everybody's just looking for that end goal. Like, okay, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. All right, next, next episode. And then you move the process again where you definitely don't feel that as much, you know, on, on, uh, on, you know, a, Aquatine on a squid billies on a you know c lab whatever it was we were doing at the time and um you feel a little bit of a different mindset going into those weeks because it's like it's like oh man what are we gonna mess around with this week you know you have this sort of deadline but it's looming in a way it's not really like anything pressuring so we we would a lot of times keep episodes open you know if you had eight eight weeks before it aired 
we would keep the episode up open until the final week, even though we were finished. Because we would go in and like tweak things out and mess with it and adjust it. And if we had, we would always say, oh, let's, we got to get on this next episode, but let's, let's not turn it in because we may have time to go back and do something. Right. And right. then we would find ourselves opening something up and going back and trying to tweak little things here and there to make it funnier or add some something into it that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Well, if we could uh, switch gears from animation, yeah, yeah, you did voice the character of Rob Goldstein in Colin movie film. Is oh my that correct? gosh! Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play around. I was a big deal. I mean, that was a huge, huge deal. <laughs> that's what that's what sold tickets. I heard that's the people, everyone in line. I saw the footage. My father built this castle. He said that weirds would live here for a thousand years. And now it's being turned into fucking lots. Well, you, you could you could still stay here. I mean, you could buy a unit. These look pretty cool. Look at this unit. <laughs> can you uh can you help him move out? Inside out. You know what? I I'm just going to let you have this one. You can you can have it for free. But we want to pay. <laughs> It was, I was Emmy, let me, let me see if I can phrase it right. I was eligible for an Emmy nomination. Really? Yeah. Just eligible. But (laughs) that's something at least, man. That's something. (laughs) I got a certificate saying that my name would at least be listed in the things that people could vote for. (laughs) That's sick. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Wow. So how did that come about? Like, how did you get involved in doing that voice for the film? Because I don't know that you ever did a voice on the show before then. I don't think I did. And I don't think I ever will again, because I think that sort of proved that that's not my, <laughs> that's well, not my I, jam. Did, didn't, didn't you, weren't you on Hands on a Hamburger too? Didn't you do a voice on I didn't on do a one? voice on it. No. Oh, okay. No, I don't think so. I'm trying to think back. I think the only voice I have done to date on that series is that. Um, wow. Yeah, I think that may have been the one and done for that. I've been drawn in, you know, a dozen of the shows that we've we've made from Aqua Teen, Squid Billies, whatever, right. whatever. Um, but never in the sense of like actually providing a voice. I think that was the first time and mm-hmm. the only time. I say that and now I'll end up finding like two other times I've done it. But um, <laughs> Well, how did that come about? Like, they, they just came and asked you to do it, to play this character? Or, or did you ask to play it? Or No, they're really funny about stuff like that. They they want to use people they know. They they oftentimes, like, it's not always... They want to get, like, a name, you know, that's out there. And they'll shoot for the stars and ask Tom Cruise every other week if he'll be in it. <laughs> um, and then they'll come to us and be like, hey, man, you want to do this voice? It'd be mm-hmm. great to get you in this. And, you know, they, they came and asked me, they were like, we'd love for you to do a voice in the movie. And I was like, you kidding? I'm going to ruin it. You really want that? And they're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, if it's probably my fault. If it, it's either my fault if you thought it was successful and it's my fault if you thought it failed. So, um, either one, <laughs> I will take both of those. <laughs> um, there's also like, you are seen in some of the special features, like in Terror Phone Two. I think you put these little the the three uh, D things yeah, on, yeah. on Dana on Dana's face uh, in the the Radical Axis presents uh, Radical mm-hmm. Axis presents. I think it's called. Yeah, uh, you of course play yourself in this oversized yellow suit. Where did that oh, suit yeah. come from? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, I think Nick, uh, Gibbons had like a trunk pool because he does a lot of improv. I think he just had like all of it. I loved that suit. That thing was amazing. Uh, <laughs> it was so good. And it just fit like that bad orange yes. glow look that the whole yeah. thing was shot in, but man, that was so much fun. Yeah. I love doing that because those are another time of just like having fun, you know, and it's a lot mm-hmm. of times it's like, what we end up doing in camera is not scripted. You know, we're just out there sort of ad-libbing and, and Dana of course is like the world's best at that. Like he can just get in front of a camera and all of a sudden you're changing everything you're doing in that entire scene because mm-hmm. he's just gone off the rails and you're like, well, right, it works right. better. Let's go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I, I love seeing those special features because it's just you guys playing around, having fun. Yeah. And I, I always say that I wish that you guys could have also done like a live action sketch kind of show as yeah. well as Aqua Teen because just seeing all you guys come together and make uh, like the Terraphone series, it's like it's got that Aqua Teen sensibility to it, but it's not Aqua Teen. And I wish, I wish we could have gotten more of that. But as you know, as, as DVD sales plummeted, then you guys didn't yeah. get to do that anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I know it would have been fantastic to have kept kept going on that path. You know, it's I've talked with Matt we've talked a, a little bit about it this whole past year about doing uh sort of that behind the scenes thing, but we're like, man, we just need to, cause he and I go camping a lot. Um, right. and it's just some of the things that we just love to do, just get away from the city and just go and like chill out and have a fire and have a drink and just, you know, crack each other up. And typically all it is, it's like, if you want to be friends with Matt Malaria, you got to make him laugh. And, uh, in turn, he just cracks me up constantly. So we're just always like, riffing on each other and cutting up jokes and stuff so i told him i was like the next our next adventure is going to be and not to take away from what you're doing but you know maybe it'll help with this one day is uh camping with comedians and it's going to be a podcast series right so it's going to be matt and i just camping just going camping and we're going to invite somebody we're going to get a dana snyder and he's going to come and go camp with us that night and we're just going to sit we're going to talk about the camp we're going to talk about where we are we're going to talk about what we're cooking and then we're going to talk about the life of the person that's there like we're just but mm-hmm. it's all going to be integrated it's all going to be mixed in so that's a great idea yeah. dude. you guys should so do that that'd be awesome it'd be amazing it'd be so much fun because then it's just like us just sitting around just being stupid and talking about the things we love and then obviously bringing in those sort of people that have you know created shows you know get a gym 40 air to come up come out there and he's he goes camp with us every now and then and just have conversations about what's funny to him, what's working, what's not working, where he wants to go with his career, how he got started. Cause people, a lot of people don't know that stuff. You know, they talk a little bit about it in some of their interviews, but never sort of the behind the scenes stuff that we can pull out of them. And I think that would be a, a, a big blast to, to sort of do that. So when we need advice on how to do it, we're coming to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to help with that. I mean, plus I'm, I, I've, I've seen what you're packing for your camping gear. Like you're not, you're not just setting up a little tent and calling it a day. I've seen on your Instagram, you've, you're, you're the real deal. Yeah. We, we don't, <laughs> yeah. Matt and I don't mess around with that stuff. So he's, <laughs> he, he's got the big monster outrig truck. And then I come with mine with just the army surplus side of things <laughs> and just get it set up. And yeah, we're ready to we're bugging out for, you know, we can go weeks out there before we have to return to civilization. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, when I was trying to set up my interview with Matt, he's like, oh, I can't do that day. I'm going camping with some of the guys or something. And I was just like, oh, man, to be a, a fly on the on the tree, I guess, while you guys are, are talking about that stuff would be so funny. It's so funny, yeah. I was wondering if you could speak to what it was like working on Squidbillies 
and then com- like compared to 12 ounce mouse like did you have a preference for which kind of show you would work on of course not taking into account like who who made the show or anything like that just yeah, yeah. for your personal style like like which did you enjoy working on or i'm sure you enjoyed both but if you can kind of compare I, them. D- I do enjoy both i mean you know matt and i's friendship is is so long that obviously anything he's working on i'm i'm always trying to help him out in any way that i possibly can whether or not i'm working on the show or just like you know telling him how freaking great it is when he's done because i know it's going to be spectacular whatever he's working on but squidbillies was a different a different ballpark at the time we started i think we actually started on episode one of that show and then we had to take a break because i think we were a year into the pilot <laughs> and we still weren't done <laughs> right and, right and right, there was yeah. a time slot so we ended up making anime talk show um and aired that instead of squidbillies and then went back and started working on squidbillies but i mean honestly like you know i think squidbillies in a way was so bizarre and new and fresh you know and and made sense for being in the south that it just sort of worked in my opinion and working on that was like such a freaking joy it was so much fun and it was just like the idea of you know because it was also in flash at the time so we were dealing with sort of yet again another sort of I mean, even I think when we were in Flash, it felt antiquated to me. Like it was all, it never really functioned in a way that we wanted it to function. I mean, Adobe didn't care. They didn't, they didn't have a, a care in the world that we were trying to make TV shows out of it because we were 1% of, the, of their revenue stream. So they could care less what we were doing. So they weren't ever going to change it to help us in any way that was going to make sense. You know, I think eventually they were like, oh, wait, now that the web, animation's dead now people are starting to use it and i think that's when animate came out so um anyway uh the you know working on i think that opposed to the other stuff was just so much fun because it really did sort of like bring full animation into it because we were still doing puppet styled animation you know up to that point recycle stuff all of that we were still planning on doing recycled work when we got into squidbillies but it really sort of turned into being more like how do we set characters up that are so easy to animate? We can just animate them. And that was the idea sort of going in the squids for that was like, let's just sort of jump into to something like that and make it, make it work in a way that it's like actually, an, it's limited animation, but really pushing the artist to like, look at old Hanna-Barbera, you know, and like go, how do the Flintstones do it? How did, how did they do it in other shows? Like back in the day, it's like, they didn't have, yeah, no money. And they were on, they were trying to crank these things out like every three weeks. So how do we replicate that idea uh, for something like Squidbillies? And I think we ended up coming up with something that worked really well and was, you know, a, a lot of ways hugely, I mean, it was hugely successful for Adult Swim to be able to, to put something like that together and put it on air. And I definitely think that's probably more of something I, you know, obviously 12 ounce mouse I love. Um, the 12 ounce mouse is so matte though in a lot of ways that it's like even though we would provide animation for it we don't no one really knew what it was like when we're working on squidbillies we know what we're making from beginning to end because we're creating all of it with 12 ounce mouse you didn't you know you didn't know what it was you were creating artwork and you would not see anything until you get this cut of a show and you're like i don't know what's happening (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then you would get another cut of a show and you're like, I st- I'm still lost. And then you get into like episode four and you've been working on it for, you know, three months. And then you see it and you're like, 
oh, like now I, you finally get it. Like one day it just clicked. But it, it was a very different pipeline because it it's a process that's very, very much like I'm going to supply art and animation, but I'm not going to know what it's for. So there was very much a different sort of workflow in that sense than what you're doing in Squidbillies. Because Squidbillies, you're working on a scene, you know the intention and the attitude of the characters that are on screen that you're playing against. So you're animating to that, which is always helpful because you can play off of that um, to where 12 ounce, you were literally just delivering art and, and seeing what comes up with it. And it's just out of Matt's mind. And you sort of get a glimpse into the darkness of, of what he lives on a daily basis. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I just love like, because they both got their own like other shows yeah. At the, around the same time and i love the way that squid billy's like it kind of kicked the animation up from aqua teen a little bit yeah in, in terms of just having more visual elements to it and then i love how 12 ounce mouse like kind of went down like it, it almost yeah, yeah. went more minimal so i just yeah i love the way that they just like went in two different directions with it there and i'm sure for you having both of those projects was like really fun to to juggle i would think because yeah. it's not the same thing it's interesting because if you knowing dave and matt you know, for so many years, like I have, it's like, I know, I understand both of those shows make sense to me and, and where they came from. Obviously, Jim 40 years, brilliant. And, and him being involved, coming from Brack show and being involved in Squidbillies was, was the right call for that. But watching sort of Dave move into Squidbillies and run that, and he's so attached to the production side of things, the animatic and the animation is so important to what dave does on his projects in a, in a daily basis and matt loves that stuff but he doesn't care like he wants to get to the point of like the really the finishing he's all post he's like how is the story going to come together how is it gonna what's the music influence what's the sound going to be like because that's for him what drives it so you have these sort of two completely different people that like one's all post one's all production and they came together and made Aqua Teen brilliantly. And then you sort of separate those and you see what happens when you put the production guy going off and making Squidbillies. You, you get a show that's way more production, way more focus on the animation and way more focus on, on that side of things. The storytelling, the script writing, all of that stuff comes out in Squidbillies. And then you, you get 12 ounce and you look at it and you, you see Matt behind it and you go, I get it because it's not a scripted show. It's not a, you know, it's not a show that is sort of a production mindseted show. It really is. Even when the editors are working, they're finishing. They're the finishing guys on making this thing. They're really in post almost the entire time. So it's how is the music going to flow into this? How is the sound effects going to work? How is the dead pause is going to play into this? Every bit of it is sort of Matt's mindset of like post production, and then Squidbillies is every bit of Matt or Dave's post. You know his pre and production mindset going into Squidbillies and they very much come out looking like that and looking like two different shows if you if you're familiar with them right right exactly uh listener Carson wants to know do you have a favorite episode of Aqua Teen or just what are some of your favorite episodes oh my gosh that's a great question uh some of the ones that were the most fun were the ones that would get us into the most trouble i think um <laughs> uh Sode, i think was one of them just because of the fact <laughs> right. that it was like we knew we couldn't do it but yet we still went forward making it so we pushed ourselves all the way through it 
with that mindset of like, how do we get, how are we going to do this in the end? Because we knew we weren't going to be able to hear it like that. We didn't know the entire time we were making it. We had no idea how we were going to do it. We thought we were going to have to like censor it and just put black bars over everything. So we finally got to the end. And I remember at one point we were, I think Josh and I were passing files back and forth and he was opening something up and some of the artwork went missing. And when in After Effects, when the artwork goes missing, it leaves a color bar like it leaves uh like these sort of like you know the the bars you would tones and bars you get at the beginning of a you know television production right so it's just that lord sort of like screen tone and it just popped up over one of the pieces of art that was missing and he was like oh my god what if every dick in it that's what we do to censor it is just cut those color those standard color bars so we made the entire show and then hid all of the files of the of the dicks. Right. And so then the, folder. It, <laughs> the entire thing was just like, all this is missing. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to put color bars up. Wow. So we ended up with all of these color bars all over and it just ended up being, it's so much funnier and so much almost like worse in a way. Cause it's, right. it's so much more offensive where it's just all these like color bars <laughs> all over the place. It's like, yeah, it almost like assaults the viewer with, yeah. with all those colors. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. just like, what is happening? So that was one. I would say that's definitely a, a big favorite of mine. And the other was, um, I don't even remember what it's called, but I just remember the process of going through it. But we had a, we had so much trouble with S and P at the time because we were constantly pushing what we could do because it was still the S and P for Adult Swim was Cartoon Networks. And if you don't know what S&P is, it's their standards and practices, right? So they're the ones that decide, not from a legal standpoint, but from a viewer standpoint and, and an ad marketing standpoint of what they think is okay for the network. So Adult Swim fell under the guides at the time early on of being part, being overseen by Cartoon Network's standards and practices. So you have to think about that for a moment and realize everything that we were doing was shocking off to them because they were like, why? No, you can't do that. You can't say that because they were used to like kids programming. That's all they were looking at all day long. All of a sudden and adult swim comes out of the woodwork and they're like, whoa, 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 you know, there's no cuss words. You can't, none of this will fly. So we started just getting, it was every time it was like this battle to go, well, the reason we're doing it, you would have to explain it. And then they were like, no, you can't show, you can't show anything in a toilet. Like if you're going to show someone the toilet, it has to be, you, you can't have it brown. You can have it, make it green. And I'm like, oh, that's so much worse. Yeah. I will color green, but that's so much worse. Like it was just the idea, it, was, it became a joke. Like everything we were getting was like, you could only show, I think it was blood. When we started adding a lot of blood in some of the episodes, we could only show blood for I think it was like a second and a half before we had to change to the next shot. So we were getting really good with like framing it all the way to like the very last moment that you could see blood and then switch to something else with more blood for that long. (laughs) So it was like, we were trying to figure out like, how far can we push this and push it? Mm -hmm. And then there was a whole episode that I think had to get redone at one point because they just found it offensive and they did, they were like, no, we're not going to do it. Add cells, all this stuff. And, so Dave and Matt ended up writing this sort of like S and P episode that was about yeah, gee whiz, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that's it, yeah, G, G, and then we just did this like a nun gets shot in the face with a shotgun and like <laughs> rainbow flies out and like just the most like right. anything and everything. But it right. all originated from the fact that the script before that, or even that script, kept getting rejected, mm-hmm. and so it just originated. That entire episode was just to say 
to mess with S and P. It's such a great episode for me. It was such a thrill to cover that episode because of the fact, like how you mentioned that it was the barriers that you guys had to fight against. Of like you're not able to do this and this. You know, a lot of the times you would think that kind of pressure would really diminish a piece of art, but really you guys took it and ran with it, and it made the episode so much more memorable and so much funnier because of the pushback you were getting. And I, I love the way that you guys would just kind of, like they'd tell you you couldn't do something, so you'd kind of just give them a middle finger like with what you were able to do. And I've seen yeah. you guys use uh, some of like the legal people's names in episodes, mm-hmm. like things like that, just to kind of be like, all right, you could tell us not to do something, but we're going to you know, not, not take it silently, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we, it was such an interesting change from like, I remember going, as soon as I worked on my first project with, with Comedy Central, uh, we had to deliver, it was the same thing, you had to deliver the animatics to the S&P and legal department to review, and the S&P came back, and this was the first time I dealt with them, and I wasn't sure what to expect, and they, they turned in the first round of pages, but it went through an email, and they started, and I think it started on a Friday night, because I turned in the animatic and went home, and I started seeing emails over the weekend where S and P and legal were going back and forth of one of the characters um, looked like he was masturbating. Right. So that's what they were trying. And they were, so they had, they spent the entire weekend, dozens and dozens of, of emails of how to show it, not of how to get rid of it. <laughs> of how, hey guys, what if we do this? Or what if we, what if his hands in his pants, but you can't see anything? Or what if there's like a blank, you know, they were trying to help everything they could to get the joke through and i'd never experienced that before and i was just crying anyway the best part of the whole thing was after this like long rant of like you know dozens and dozens of emails i got back in and i read read through all the emails on monday and i was like oh my gosh that's not what he's doing in that scene at all (laughs) (laughs) it was a character whittling a stick because he was just this right he was just whittling a stick and they thought that's what he was doing so they spent, I just loved it, like all weekend, like legal and S&P yeah. fighting for this joke. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even part of the, the story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I love, cause I'm sure there were, there were other jokes that you got, that you were like, well, why couldn't you guys fight for that joke instead? Instead right. of fight yeah. for the thing that wasn't even a joke. Yeah. It was so good, oh but God. it was such a difference between going, you know, just the idea of like Cartoon Network's S&P, mm-hmm. you know, just coming from that children's world and like. Right. Seeing other, you know, it's like you put, I'm sure the S&P group for, you know, because they have South Park, I'm sure that was just like, they trained those people like you, these are what you can and can't do. But yeah, we would have to, it was a fight constantly. We'd go, I think our, my biggest fight always with S&P at Adult Swim for Aqua Teen was, was, um, oh, uh, the stop motion show. What was it? Uh, robot chicken. So everything was robot chicken that I would compare it to. And I was like, well, they have a character peeing for three seconds and, and I would screen grab and send it to them. And they're like, Dang it. <laughs> yes, they're like fine. He can, he can <laughs> pee for three seconds. So I would like get away with like all of this stuff by just arguing because we all watched the stuff too, you know, all that time. So right. any, any one of my artists at the time could name another show that they were done. I was like, all right, we're getting called out on somebody pooping. What do we have? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, okay, Robot Chicken did this. And they were like, uh, C-Lab did this. And and we would put it all together and send an argument back going, it's in there all your other shows. And they were like, fine. Do you think that a show, a more high profile show like Robot Chicken, do you think that they were able to get away with more than you guys were because of like 
their celebrity influence, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. And I think it was also a higher profile show for the network too. So they were more apt to let things slide and it was a bigger risk factor for them because they had they were obviously spending a lot more on those productions than what they were on ours. So the cost associated with that is like, they've spent so much time to get to that point with the script by the time they do it to make a change could be a bigger deal than what it would be for us. You know, it wouldn't cost as much to make changes for a smaller production. But I also think because it was Seth Green and, and, and I also think a lot of times too, because we were, you know, as much as I love Adult Swim, I feel like these sort of William Street shows, you know, that you would see were more, we were sort of like, we were still the kids on kids down the hall, you know, like that was sort of the idea. A lot of times I feel like with, when we were looked at was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah you guys are making those shows down the hall where you would get something like robot chicken. And it was like, it was a bigger profile show. It was not done out of Atlanta. And I think you would get a little bit more of like network executives, you know, fighting for that stuff more so than they would for what we would do. You know, we would go, we want this in there. Like, just take it out. But you know, (laughs) Seth, you know, Seth Green going to him, go, I want this in there. And they're like, okay, we'll see what we can do. There's definitely that aspect because it came down to the executives. Like, you know, it came down to Keith Crawford or Mike Lazo in the end being the ones to, to grant permission to leave it on air that way. And they could overrule what's, what S&P said. Oh, okay. But again, it's sort of like that's where you would you would fight with them to get it on and they would just go, no, change it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it didn't mean as quite as much. Not that we weren't important to the network. It was just that we were, we were still just down the hall. I mean, you know, early on we were literally – 10 of us on the hallway making these things right there with like Keith and Mike and all of us just goofing off all day long. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I mean, it's great because I know like in terms of, of, of fans of adult swim, some people might not like the higher budgeted shows and think mm-hmm. that those are kind of like sellouts, but you know, if somebody likes Aqua Teen, well, you know, I, I like that you explained how it's like, because of robot chicken, you guys got to do even more mm-hmm. than you normally would have been able to do. So I guess, uh, a, a very common question I had for you, this is this comes from Dex, but a lot of other people wanted to know, uh, what advice do you have for anybody looking to get into the animation industry? I mean, obviously, college is a great way to do it. Portfolio, among anything else, is like key, you know, and it really is sort of like, you know, now we look for larger scope of things than what I used to, you know, when I was just making something like Aqua Teen, now that I'm making like bigger productions it's sort of like we have departments now you know we have the background department we have a character department we have a rigging department prop department you sort of break you start getting into these aspects that are a little bit different from what i would just look for artists and animators early on you know it was either an artist or an animator and you had to do backgrounds and characters or you know that sort of thing so portfolio is 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 key um there's always this debate with college of of is it necessary Yes and no. You know, there's there's an aspect of it that that shows um, what can and can't be done with somebody showing that they can follow through with something. I think that's always so important because you don't want to, you know, if you get somebody that comes in and it's just like, hey, I dropped out of school because I think I know enough and I want to get a job with you guys. It's like, well, how long are you going to stay here? You know, if you didn't finish that, are you going to finish the project with us? Or are you going to look for the next thing because you're bored and want to move on? So there's definitely an aspect of that. Obviously, some people that have left, you know, Josh Mullinex quit school to come and work with us and he's nonstop successful. So, you know, it's not like it doesn't work and I don't mean it by any means like that, but it definitely shows like a sense of 
being able to complete something, but it doesn't, it also doesn't mean you have to go and spend $60,000 to go to SCAD per year. Like that's insane. So there's other, there's other avenues to get it done and to get what, you know, to get a degree, um, and, and get the training you need for what we do, which is, you know, you just got to look around and see what's out there and what's available. But this other big benefit of the school obviously is helping build that portfolio that we need to see. And that's, that's really key because we can't, we're not going to take a whim, you know, just a, a, a chance on somebody just because they say they want to be an animator and they're really good. You know, and they show you one thing they've done like five years ago. It's like, you've got to, we've got to know they're skilled. They're up to date. They're updating their portfolio. We look to see what their updates look like. A lot of times when we see, because we go to schools a lot and look at the career fairs and we'll see artists that stand out in our mind. And then the next year we go back because they're not graduating yet. We look at their portfolio again to see the advancement that they made. And it's impressive. A lot of times you do see like ones you're like, man, they really in just a year, they were already good. Now they're great. So I think there's that that goes along with it as well. But, you know, it's putting that portfolio together and and getting it it put in and getting it something that everyone's going to be sort of, you know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to blow people away with like your storytelling. What you have to do is to be able to impress people. If you want to be an artist or an animator, you got to be able to show that you, you have the talents to do it. You know, do you have the timing down? Does it work for the scene? Do you, can you show the emotion that needs to be there? Because a lot of times too, a character is just staring and you're playing a lot with just eyebrows to tell a story. Um, and how can you get that? And how can you show it uh, and show that you can, you can do that with something simple? Well, you mentioned, you know, of course, college. My understanding is you went to the Art Institute. Uh, what really led you to want to become an animator? Like, what was the, the moment that you realized you wanted to be an artist? I mean, it was always, I mean, always Disney growing up. But Fantasia was the one thing that sort of like really pushed it for me. Um, and not when it came out, because I'm not that old. But the uh, <laughs> they, there was, a, I remember going and watching fantasia with my dad and just being like i walked out of it going the music the 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 music aspect of it and the art around it blew my mind like i just could not fathom that that this existed because what i saw with it was not just art it was like something that was sort of groundbreaking and going to the next level because this truly was like early disney years of like getting into like music and you know you had not been that many years since music was not even part of movies, you know? And it was the idea of like combining those two things. And it was like, but it was the opposite because a lot of times the art inspired the music and this was music inspiring the art. And I think that was so groundbreaking to be able to see that, you know, on screen. And it sort of just like flowed with like expression. And I think that was really the point. I was just like, I have to do this. I have to make a living figuring out a way to do this and of course you know my passion obviously was technology at the time growing up and i was like i was obsessed with like you know the computer side of things 3d was just just breaking ground and i was like that's it's it you know it's like i want to figure out a way to do the next fantasia but with like holograms or with 3d or with something like i had no idea i just knew that it was like a passion to go in that direction so yeah it was really just that it was like knowing the art, you know, having the obsession with, with Disney early on Disney, uh, growing up. Um, and then knowing that the idea that people could make a living doing that was bizarre to me. 
I was like, that's so great. You know, I don't, I don't, wait a minute. I don't have to grow up. This is great. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before we really started recording here, you and I were talking about nightmare before Christmas. Is that another like inspiration for you? That film? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was so big. And I think that's so big for so many people, you know, looking at it. I mean, even that and, and, and Toy Story, you know, it was like, if, if I was to pick sort of three movies that I would say were the, the ones that did it, it would be, you know, Fantasia, Toy Story, Nightmare Before Christmas. Those would be the ones that are like, and it's interesting because not because it's intentional, they're so good in what they did, but it's again, the medium that, broke into something different than what i haven't seen before because i had seen the traditional animated fantasia brought like i said art alive with with music toy story obviously brought 3d alive and had not been done before so it was just something completely it was mind-boggling to watch it and understand that that was now it was something that was achievable and then obviously seeing night before christmas was just like full-length feature done so well you know stop motion had been done before it wasn't like that was new but not to that level of like music and acting and like cinematography and design because the design obviously is such a huge part of that movie and to see all of those sort of mix into that like almost darker side of animation which i love but yet it was still disney in so many ways um but yeah that i would say that's the three that sort of really Mm -hmm really set things in motion and grounded, you know, of like a direction I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you from Georgia? Uh, no, I grew up in, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, okay. So, okay. Not too far and, away, but yeah. And then, so what, when did you, when did you move to Atlanta? Uh, to go to school, to go to the Art Institute. So I, I came here immediately from there and, and started working. I think I went, um, I remember what year that was, 96, 97, something like that. And then, um, I had a teacher that was uh, had was a comic book artist, I think, for Marvel or something like that at the time. That was one of my professors at the college, and I was doing things completely. I was doing things wrong in my two D class, but in a way that they were like, "That's such a cool way to do this," and they thought I was doing it <laughs> being creative. And it was only because I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew what I wanted to achieve, and the outcome was pretty remarkable you know, for being a, a student at the time, obviously, but, um, super excited about it. And then he was just like, you have to meet my wife who works at a, at a place here in Atlanta called Weatherford communication. Uh, and they do, they work on a children's show called salsa that was, uh, for Georgia public television. Um, and it was like, you know, kids puppet stop motion, whatever type show. And I was in my 3d class at the time. And so it was, I think that was my very first 3d, um, thing and it was one of the first 3d things they they were really doing as well and so i ended up doing this animated sequence for them that was all in 3d while i was in school which was right. super cool wow. and then yeah it was just sort of like that was sort of led to you know obviously all, all the other production pieces that i did from there because a buddy i worked with that happened to be working at that studio suggested me to um you know the matt jenkins studio because they were looking for a tech guy to come in and help do some of the computer work that needed to get done for the compositing of, of the commercial projects they were working on. So that led me over there to start doing commercial work with, with Matt Jenkins. And obviously at the same time, he was working on stuff for Brack show and space ghost. So we just sort of kept working on all that stuff together. But yeah, that was uh, a very different, uh, different way to 
sort of get introduced into things, but I mean, it was, you know, working and obviously doing that stuff in school was very much different. I have a question here. Another question from Carson. Carson wants to know what was different between working with Radical Axis, Awesome Inc. and Bento Box? Like, can you kind of compare those three places that you've worked for? Yeah, I think not a, there's a, not a lot different in the sense of my role changed, but I would not say much else changed other than that because I think it was really the it was the people that we had right and it's the in the and the projects that we're working on at each one and they've all been different they've all been different projects and they've all been different clients and and um in a lot of ways it's been some of the same people and a lot of the people went over to Floyd County and a lot of the people went over to um some of the other studios and you know it was of course a lot of people at Floyd County came over and worked with me um that's a whole nother story with how that started. But um, yeah, there's, I think it's definitely been a lot of similarities in, in those cases because, you know, I think the biggest difference is the, the somewhat freedom I have to, to make the bigger decisions now with, with running the studio here compared to, you know, working for other people. I was working with uh, Scott Fry at the time at, at Radical Access and then I was working with Ashley Kohler over at, uh, at Awesome Incorporated before, you know, immediately moving over to Bento and getting it started. So I think they were all sort of like different in that sense. But, you know, it really was just about the people and about the fact that that I think the difference is when you stop working for the project and you start working for the company, you know, and, and I'm a I'm a company person. I've been with Bento for a very long time. So I don't mean it like I'm not a company person because I very much am. I'm very much a person that works for the productions and my focus is on the production. I'm not taking in projects to do a project. And a lot of times I won't take on shows if I don't believe in them. It's, it's gotta be projects that I really feel like this is something I I love and I want to get behind. And I know that my staff would love it and want to get behind it. So we'll take on work, you know, in that sense. And it's sort of been that way with every, every place I've worked, you know, that is always like, what do we want to do? How do we want to, build what we're doing and continue to enjoy what we do. So we're not just, we're not just a service studio, you know, we're a studio that's creating stuff that's uh, remarkable and amazing that people want to actually tune into and watch because they can also see the passion that we have for it when they watch it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Bento Box, I would like to talk a little bit about a film that you guys have coming out on the Uh 21st. Yeah. Uh, this podcast, just so you know, will be up the 22nd. So this yeah. will come out after Postocalypse. But I don't know. I, I haven't seen it yet, so I don't have any concrete questions. But I don't know if you could talk about working on that film. No, I'd love to talk about working on that film because it's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's... I'm so excited. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those that's that sort of goes down as a cult classic again. I mean, really, when you know Matt pitches is a little bit different when he pitches the idea, and it's his. So I'm going to pitch it from what I think it is, even though I didn't write it. So... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is it, for me. It's 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 the Walking Dead meets you know Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Like there's just no. <laughs> it's so much like just the insanity of like Matt's mind with so much stuff, but also just like the ability to trust people that are around him to create the most bizarre thing you could ever imagine seeing. Um, the cast is absolutely amazing. Dana Snyder, 
we've got uh he just freaking blows my mind in it like just the fact that he's still i could listen to him all day long and it's just he's not master shake he's not granny he's manicotti like he is the voice of of this character coming out so i just love that there's sort of that aspect of of this to be able to still utilize and use the people that we love and then bring new people into it for voice talent um but that was sort of a of a dream and it was a project that you know i was talking with fox um early on you know sort of about this idea when tubi came into the to the mix because we purchased tubi um fox purchased tubi um and we were sort of trying to figure out like could we make shows for them what is their audience what are they doing you know we knew it was going to grow it was just a matter of time we were going to spend a little bit of time and then the the pitch came you know to me with tubi first went to fox and we're like we want some content we want some movies and then they went to 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 bento and we're like can we make movies like low budget animated movies that are good Mm -hmm. comedies and you know next thing i know it comes across you know they call me and talk to me about it and we looked at different scenarios with our other studios around the around the world and literally i was the only one that could fathom and come up with a true game plan of how to make it work just because of my history with these sort of adult swim shows it sort of originated from that sort of like mindset of like we've got to create this down and dirty and focus on good storytelling stupid comedy uh and we've got to keep people laughing and it doesn't no matter what it looks like and now it's like it turned into i'm super proud of it i cannot wait till it airs um, right, right. The, the, the look of the show is just it's dark it's grungy it's got so much attitude with it when you watch it and mm-hmm. just sort of seeing you know the progression of these characters what they're going through but it has like that that charm of like match ridiculous storytelling as well because you right. know you're gonna get that aspect of you know a character just like riffing on something political for a few minutes or something else you know it's just going right. to pull into the to the whole drive of the show but yeah that movie is it's you know 70 minute film we made for tubi that's that's going to be just unbelievable we didn't know it was going to air this soon we were just we we're just finishing it we just turned in the final copy at the beginning of this week oh um, wow okay and it's fre- fresh it fresh is very very fresh yeah we're still like wow. doing doing final like poster approvals and stuff like that so mm-hmm. there's a lot to still come um from it but um yeah it's uh it's really wild i was just somebody just sent me a picture of the of the poster we got in um, i'm like surprised that there's been really nothing shown for it yet like i almost thought it wasn't coming out even though matt told me it was the 21st but then i just saw some sort of small announcement somewhere but I'm surprised they're not plugging it more. Well, it's uh, if you look at Tubi's sort of upfront, what they do with their upfronts, you know, the upfronts are obviously where they get advertising and offer the different networks. So they do these huge releases every year. Every network gets together and they do these big upfront announcements. It's here's what we're doing this year. Here's this. Here's why you need to buy ads with us. Um, they're changing the process of that slowly with all these streaming departments coming out. But Tubi's still in that world as well with Fox. So they're... They're doing big announcements at that, um, which is Monday, I believe. So mm-hmm. that's when like the big, so you oh, should have plenty okay. to be able to promote with that. <laughs> so 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. And then they announced three films. Is your studio working on all three of those, or is Bento Box LA working on some, or it's it's just you guys? Nope, all out wow, of Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. So, and I ran it like um, what I said before. It's it, I ran it like three giant episodes. Mm-hmm. So I literally stacked them on top of each other. Where my pre-production crew that was doing all the design work for postocalypse was then moving on to the next movie which is millennial hunter and then moving on to the next movie which is big bro and then the animators are doing the same they're going from one movie to the next movie and then post-production is going from one to the next so it just sort of staggers down this way so we just finished animating the second movie and we've started monday of this week we started animating the third movie wow okay so we are cranking through these things and they're it's it's you got to do three of them. That's the only way I can make it work. So they were they were completely good with making three movies, and um, we've heard nothing but rave reviews on Postocalypse so far. And uh, I know Matt's proud of it. We're proud of it. Like it's it's unbelievable the 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 quality of it, the amount of animation, the amount of love that went into it. Right. Um, it's one of those you feel that the entire production team working on it just loves it. Right. Right. I mean, how how did working on? I I understand you're doing other films at the same time, but how did working on Postocalypse like? How does that compare to working on Plantasm? Is it like a bigger team? Is it a smaller team? It's about the same. It's a little smaller than Plantasm. Um, I would say you know a third smaller. So the you know the biggest difference I think with with the two is sort of the. You know what you're going into with Aqua Teen, you know, in a, in a very good way. So I think that's the big difference here was like we were discovering what the movie was while editing it. So a lot of the a lot of the conversations, you know, in the edit room was what do we do with this scene? Where do we go with it? And honestly, a ton of the really big gags that come in the movie that are just sort of stooping over the top and just comedy came from us and Matt sitting in the edit room going through it and, and trying things and just be like, man, how stupid this is. What if it was a snowman? Sure. And then everybody cracks <laughs> up in the room. We're like, wait a minute, that's funny. Why don't we actually make it a snowman? And then we would just do things like, like that's where it was very different from what we would do with, with Aqua Teen because it hasn't been established. Mm. And so we would just push those things. It was like, what makes us laugh? You know, and it's any, if we get a good laugh in the room and we're just being stupid, um, we're going to try it. And then if, if animators then come back and are like, that's so funny, we know we're onto something mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So that was very, very different from Aqua Teen in that sense, because it definitely played a lot more into us just being stupid and trying things that we wouldn't normally get to try. Um, even more so than what we wouldn't be able to do on Aqua Teen, like we were really able to do here and push it and see how far we could go mm-hmm. with it. Well, it, it's thrilling for me to hear kind of like the legacy of Aqua Teen and how like you started on working on that show where you guys had to be very lean with like what you had and you had to be like innovative with how you made the show in order to make the show. And it sounds like you're still kind of utilizing those, maybe not those specific techniques anymore, but just that that kind of like guideline for how you go forward, making these cheap, but still very good films that we yeah. will be seeing 
uh, throughout the year, I assume. Uh, I don't I don't know if all three are coming out this year, but they are. Yeah, we're going to they're all coming out this year. So it's going to be good. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, my last question for you before we get to just a couple rapid fire things is what was your reaction to Aqua Teen getting canceled in 2015? Uh, not surprised and not uh, didn't believe it at the same time. Really? OK, it was it, we got canceled every year. <laughs> true yeah that's a good point <laughs> it was always a running joke like who's gonna who's gonna cancel us this year um because we were always getting the network we're like we're not doing anymore and we're like okay i mean you can go ahead and start on another episode but we're not making anymore and then we would just start making another season and it would just get done this one was a little different because i believe it was actually a- ashley kohler that that sort of broke the news because she had heard from one of the executives that it was being done away with um and then she mentioned i think to to dave and matt about it and then they were like yeah it's over and we're like is it over or is it like over right and it right. was always that sort of thing squidbillies the same thing happened i mean i think squidbillies was went two more seasons after we got canceled so we kept <laughs> they were just like we're not gonna make any more right all right we're gonna make 10 more but that's it <laughs> maybe all right maybe one more season but that is definitely going to be it. And it was every year they would say that with those shows. So uh-huh. um, it was a little bit surprising, but at the same time, I felt like it was a good time. But I also feel like with the fan base, it's like, what a better way to come back, you know, uh, right. from the dead than to, than to put out this huge movie, which I mm-hmm. think, you know, I think sort of stood for something greater than what it was when it, right. when it was released. So I have just four rapid fire questions here for you. You can take as long or as little as you would like to answer them. They're just some some personal questions. So uh, what is your favorite film and or TV show? Uh, Pulp Fiction. Gotcha. Is there is there a TV show you want to shout out? I mean, The Simpsons has always been on on the top pick, but uh, no, only because I think that that changes so much in in my time. Just I always feel like I, I... jump from one thing to another with the with there's so much content out there right you know and it's the things i go back and watch all the time i wouldn't consider to be my favorite thing in the world like i'll watch reruns of the office and friends and seinfeld but those aren't my favorite shows but i will watch those 700 times like it doesn't matter to me because i'll just put them on but it's like you know i have shows that i'll sit down and watch and i'm like you know, Mandalorian, I'm not going to, I have to turn things off and focus because I'm like, I want to focus on this. Right. You know, it's like succession mm. was so horrible and so great at the same time. It's like, I want to focus on it, you know, with animated stuff, the new season of uh, visions came at the star Wars visions. Have you seen those? They're phenomenal. No, I haven't seen um, them. No, not yet. They're just, it's every episode is animated by another studio and it's oh wow freaking okay. amazing. And it's their own take. It's a lot of times it's like Asian, studios doing mm-hmm. their interpretation of, of star wars so they're mixing in like these this like sort of their culture into the the star wars universe and it's like you just get this bizarre amazing story that comes out of it that sounds but, great uh, that's really interesting yeah and it's like that stuff like i have to focus on like like i said like a seinfeld or a simpsons or anything those are playing in the background and they're just mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and they'll be on almost all day but i'm not watching them Right. So these are like ones that I'm like focusing on. So I have stuff right now that are like my picks of things I'm watching, but I would say, you know, Pulp Fiction, I think just because of like 
how fabulous it was just for me, it was like the perfect storytelling. But at the same time, I had not seen anything like it when I watched it. Mm -hmm. It was the first time they really started time jumping and screwing with the audience in a way that like, it's you're, you're on the ride with them having it on having it revealed, rather than having it told before you, you know, you're trying to pick all the pieces and put it all together. And by the time it ends, you go, wow, that was a ride. And that that was earlier in like Quentin's career too, so it's like yeah, you you didn't really know what to expect so much as you do now when yeah, you yeah. go and see a Tarantino film. Exactly, yeah. I think Reservoir Dogs was really the only thing else he had done. So mm-hmm. coming into Pulp Fiction, it was like, and I went into it blind, like I had no idea, I didn't even know who Quentin Tarantino was. Going into the theater with a buddy of mine, I'm watching it, and it was just, I came out going, I that was a trip. Like I don't even know what I just watched, and right. I was I was offended so much of it because i was i was young uh-huh. and i was like it offended me but also like to the point of just ended up set me in a way like emotionally that i was like and made me just question so much like i was just like this is so good like what a unique way to tell a story and like it was so interesting so right, right. yeah um what about your favorite band and or album uh it's definitely you two and i would probably say i mean you know Rattle and Hum, Joshua Tree, um, any of the other sort of like uh, Actung Baby, you know, was for me was just groundbreaking. I think it just sort of went to a whole new level. You two, hands down, probably everything up until this like sort of re-release that they just did of like just the Edge and Bono rewriting four oh. years of songs. It's like <laughs> I didn't even know that they did that. <laughs> they don't bother looking at it, and it's just it's the most upsetting thing I've ever seen. And I'm That's like, very bizarre. Yeah, I, I hate it. Um, but I would not say that about anything U 2s ever done. So for me, that was like just I just right. have to pretend that doesn't exist right now, and they're just working on a new album. They'll come out later and go, "We were just kidding." Uh-huh. <laughs> but um uh yeah i would say that's probably it i mean i watched mm-hmm. um i saw them i was getting off top but i saw them and i think it was act baby or the, the one before that i think public enemy uh opened for them and it was in in downtown birmingham uh and the stage lights went out and right in the center of the stage like spotlight goes up and there's a Ku Klux Klan member hanging from a noose swinging on the stage (laughs) and this is downtown Birmingham and like public enemy comes out and the place just erupts with like everyone went nuts it was amazing it was like the coolest like wow and and just the idea of like YouTube bringing public enemy to like open for them also was just bizarre right like, at but, first i was amazing, like surprised that, that you said that then i was like well it does make sense like it is you too yeah yeah it's you too <laughs> and they very much in the political and like you know realm of everything with with bono but right um anyway yeah so there you go that's it hands down i would gotcha. say it's definitely moved on i mean my taste has changed from early on grunge you know to to going into like you know, seventies country to like now on occasions, like I'll even put on like 
you know, Zach Brown band or something like that, or, you know, dive into like, I don't know. I'm just sort of all over the place with what I l- listen to now, but I mean, even classical, like now I listen to classical and it's funny. Cause it's like, I listen to classical and I go, Oh my God, this is from that Looney Tunes episode. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 yeah <laughs> you know, absolutely. and I find stuff that I'm like, Oh my God, I can't, I had no idea this was what that's from. Right. But it's sort right. of cool to, to sort of see that because now I see the, again, the art, you know, being inspired by music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's funny to hear you mention grunge. It seems like a lot of you guys were uh, grunge heads at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about, do you have a favorite game that could be like video game that could be like any other kind of game? I mean, nightly, I say I'm is I'm just obsessed with the world. And I, I'm obsessed in the fact that I hate Call of Duty so much because it just sucks beyond belief because they are a multi- billion dollar industry and they cannot fix their stupid game (laughs) they and i am i'm just dumb enough to continue to buy it and play it every (laughs) Every single night every every night i'm on it and i'm complaining (laughs) every night at how much i hate it and then we all it's just we're we're called the gom we're the grumpy old men we're all like a couple of the guys in my group are in their 60s and we're all like running around playing these games together and it's just we're so angry because of how dumb <laughs> the, it's a broken game and i will not stop playing it and a new one comes out and we rush out the day and get it i'm like i <laughs> hate this company <laughs> that, uh, yeah i mean I, I feel like your story isn't isn't unique i feel like there's there's so many no. people are like why am i fucking absolutely doing this? but you can't stop yeah. yeah like i'll be i'll be playing a game and i'll be like why am i playing this i'm just getting mad at the game itself like what am i doing yep. yeah exactly do you uh do you play with phil Sampson? I used to. I used to play. Uh, okay, so I, I know he's kind of a gamer too. Yeah, yeah. We we don't play much anymore. Uh, he, I think, is in a different game world than I am right now. I don't. Uh, for a while, he was going into Destiny and something else. And um, but we used to do Rainbow Six Vegas together and the Rainbow Six series uh, a lot. And those were great back, you know, ten, twelve years ago. We would do those a lot together, and he would get so angry at me because. We would play and we were on the same team or either we'd, we wouldn't be depending if it was just like um, every man for himself. But I would just get in one spot at the time because I knew it annoyed him and I would snipe him. And <laughs> I was better at sniping that he could come up and shoot me in like a, a one-on-one like gunfight. Right. But if if I'm far enough away from him, he can't. He was furious, <laughs> so mad. And you could hear it with the anger he would get in the voice. And that just made me want to do it more. And it was such a joy. <laughs> All right. And then I guess uh, my favorite or my, my last uh, lightning round question here. What is your because you've worked on this silly fast food show? What is your favorite fast food restaurant? Oh, my gosh. It's still it's going to have to be Chick-fil-A. I mean, that's where that was my first job at uh, at 15 years old. Oh, wow. So it's sort of like, yeah, company loyalty. Yeah, it's consistent from that point on. It's never <laughs> changed or varied and they know what they do and they know what they make and they've stuck with it. So I'm definitely going with Chick-fil-A on that one. Right on. Um, is there anything that you would like me to plug that we haven't? touched on today anything oh my gosh i think other than just these tubi movies i mean postocalypse you know if Mm. you're a fan of aqua team like there's no doubt you're going to be obsessed with this movie uh and just sit back and enjoy the ride on it because it's going to be freaking amazing and um you know i can can and can't say that there might be more of that style 
coming up later, you know, so I'm just hoping that everybody responds to it well. Yeah, and and again, Tubi is completely free, so there's no reason for somebody not to watch exactly. these films when they yeah. come out. Yeah, hundred percent. Would you like me to to mention your uh, like your Instagram and your Twitter handle? Oh yeah, but it may bore people to death, but I mean for sure, like <laughs> there's nothing. I try to avoid as much like um, work related stuff mm. as I possibly mm. can. It's more like just things that I enjoy, which is is going to be what hiking and um and camping and and legos right that's, that's, that's what i was and thinking cars because uh if it, you know lego fans will love your page you're very into yeah. that hike or uh, camping fans but i gotta say yep. if somebody is hungry don't look through uh your instagram page because there's so, oh much, so much delicious food on there i it's was hungry so when i was much. looking at it i was like oh my god i can't <laughs> i can't continue i saw like this beautiful pizza you made and i was like no i want to go make a pizza and you have this yeah. like this little green, uh, the big green egg in the back, yes, man. Yeah. It's like I've gotten obsessed with that thing. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, some mouthwatering food here, and of course, uh, I'm delighted by your your handle, your Instagram name, and your Twitter right? name, Insanoflex ATHF. That's right. That's also <laughs> my. Uh, it's as well my um, my Xbox oh, uh, sure. code is is Insanoflex. <laughs> so I got I have insane flex for that, and then I have on on because um, all this was done before because I used to have itchy and scratchy, which was my original Xbox name. Which I don't know how I got that early on. That that was the very first like. So I had itchy and scratchy, and then when the Aqua Team movie was coming out, I changed it and lost. I got rid of itchy and scratchy mm. and changed it to insane flex. Uh, and then I got a PlayStation about the same time, uh, or a little bit probably before that. And I got Markula. So I'm Markula oh, on, uh, yeah, <laughs> Markula on PlayStation, if you're ever looking for me. And Xbox, I'm Insanoflex. And then <laughs> I'm Insanoflex ATHF on the world of Instagram. There we go. And I'm just delighted to hear that that is, uh, you know, when you work on this show and you love it enough to use the uh, stuff from the show as your handles. Oh, like yeah. Great for me as a fan to see. But all right. Thank you so much, Craig. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's been fun. How was that, huh? What a conversation there. I mean, there's just so much to think about. I think this is one that we'll have to listen to a few times to really grasp everything that Craig is talking about here. I love the way, as we talked about at the very end, that Craig, he uses Insanoflex ATHF as his handles online. That's crazy. I love that so much. I mean, there's a an infamous story that Eric Andre tells about how when he met Mike Lazo, the you know one of the creators of Space Ghost, Eric Andre was really inspired by Space Ghost for his show and wanted to talk to Lazo about Space Ghost, and Lazo just didn't want to talk about it. He wasn't interested. So when we see these guys on Aqua Teen who love this the show so much that Craig, all these years later, is using a handle from the Colin movie film, it's just fantastic. It, it fills my heart with so much joy. I really like the way that Craig was getting into how Robot Chicken helped Aqua Teen. You know, there seems to be this divide amongst some Adult Swim fans who are kind of like William Street purists and, and things outside of William Street or, or just bigger projects on Adult Swim they don't like, like your Robot Chicken or your Family Guy. And I get that. Like, obviously, you don't have to like those shows, but we do need to acknowledge that those shows, even if you might not like them, 
they directly helped Aqua Teen. I mean, if it wasn't for Family Guy, I never would have seen Aqua Teen as a kid because my parents would put Adult Swim on to see Family Guy and then they'd, you know, fall asleep or whatever, leave it on. And that's when I would catch all this weird shit afterwards, as I'm sure might be the story with you. The last thing I want to mention is, of course, I'm such a sucker for this. I loved hearing Craig get into working on 12-ounce mouse versus squidbillies, and more so the differences between Matt and Dave. It's it's infinitely fascinating to me to hear these guys talk about working with Matt and Dave and, and how they're different, how they how they handle production differently, the things that they are interested, which which are different, which of course, you know, Matt and Dave being the yin and yang. To what makes Aqua Teen so great. Now, their, their shows without each other are also great. I love all their stuff they've done independently, but it's these merging of their two styles, really, I think that's like the, the secret component to Aqua Teen. So I loved hearing Craig talk about that. And lastly, for anyone who wants to get into animation, how's that? You got to hear directly from the general manager of Bento Box Atlanta what he's looking for when signing people on. So so hopefully, if, if that's what you want to be when you get older or, or whatever, hopefully that helped you, uh, point you in the right direction there. I should add, if you are interested in that podcast idea that Craig brought up where him and Matt Malero would, would bring someone to the woods, they'd go camping and, and, just, and just mess around, have a good time. If you want to hear that podcast, so do I. <laughs> I, I think it's a great idea, and I, I told Craig afterwards, and I'm going to tell Matt as well. I'm like, look, if you guys want to test that out, I would gladly edit like a pilot episode for free for you, do the production for free, just because I want that to happen. It's crazy that that there's not more with these guys out there. And uh, I mean, you're listening to this. I'm sure you would love to listen to that as well. So hopefully that can happen at some point because Craig, Matt, they're great guys. I would love to hear them on a podcast of their own. So of course, again, thank you to our guest Craig this week. You could find him on Instagram and Twitter at Insanoflex, A-T-H-F. Link to that in the description. Give him a follow. His Instagram page is great. I don't think he's so active on Twitter, but follow him there too. Why not? Thank you again to Peyton for for helping set this up. And thank you to Dave again for for pointing Craig in my direction and and introducing us to each other. I have no business talking to somebody of Craig's caliber, but I'm glad I got to. It was a lot of fun. So thank you for listening to this, for, for being the reason that this exists and came to be. If you are a Moon Master over on the Patreon, a supporter of the podcast, thank you so much. It allows this podcast to remain independent. It allows me to continue to make this podcast and allows for things like this to happen, to, to just shine some more light on, on the inner workings of Aqua Teen, like has for some reason never been done before. I'm not really sure why uh, that this is the first time some of these things are coming out, but it is what it is. Of course, thank you to our Highlander, Nick. There can be only one! There's only one Highlander. There's only one Nick. Appreciate you, our super supporter. And of course, thank you to our number one in the Hood G-tier patrons, the Mac Daddies, keeping this podcast going as well. Sean, Ian, Captain Buford, by the way, Buford, Happy belated Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary. Robison, Jason, Carl, Lecheraton69, and Empower706. You guys can rage at your video games nightly any day of the week. I'll see you next week. Till then, keep it cool, take it easy, watch Postocalypse. Bye-bye.
Everything is forbidden.